This is Alan Johnson, pastor of Old Peachtree Presbyterian Church in Duluth, Georgia. The Bible is God's Word. It describes itself as living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. Therefore, any encounter with the Bible is a momentous thing because it never leaves us unchanged. My prayer for you as you hear this message is that the Holy Spirit will use it in your life to inform your mind, to feed your soul, and to help you grow in your faith in Christ. Please turn with me in your Bibles to Jeremiah chapter 39, verses 1 through chapter 40, verse 6. Just a few comments about where we're heading with Jeremiah. We'll be looking at the next several chapters, Lord willing, over the next few weeks. Not planning to go through all of the chapters on the various uh, announcements of judgments on the different nations. Um, simply for the sake of time, um, and I'm not planning to spend the rest of my ministry preaching through Jeremiah. Uh, some of those echo some of the same judgments that we've already seen, uh, and certainly not that it's not profitable, but just not to extend the series on unduly. Someone might come in, it's too late for that, but um, but then we plan to come back in chapter 52 and uh, and finish up Jeremiah by looking at that last chapter. So just to give you a sense of where we are with things. Where we are tonight, however, is uh, chapter 39, beginning in verse 1. Hear the word of God. In the ninth year of Zedekiah, king of Judah, in the tenth month, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and all his army came against Jerusalem and besieged it. In the eleventh year of Zedekiah, in the fourth month, on the ninth day of the month, a breach was made in the city. Then all the officials of the king of Babylon came and sat in the middle gate. Nergal Sarezer, Samgar Nebu, Sarsakim the Rabsaris, Nergal Sarezer the Rabmag, with all the rest of the officers of the king of Babylon. When Zedekiah king of Judah and all the soldiers saw them, they fled going out of the city at night by way of the king's garden through the gate between the two walls, and they went toward the Arabah. But the army of the Chaldeans pursued them and overtook Zedekiah in the plains of Jericho. And when they had taken him, they brought him up to Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, at Riblah in the land of Hamath, and he passed sentence on him. The king of Babylon slaughtered the sons of Zedekiah at Riblah before his eyes, and the king of Babylon slaughtered all the nobles of Judah. He put out the eyes of Zedekiah and bound him in chains to take him to Babylon. The Chaldeans burned the king's house and the house of the people and broke down the walls of Jerusalem. Then Nebuzaradan, the captain of the guard, carried into exile to Babylon the rest of the people who were left in the city, those who had deserted to him and the people who remained. Nebuzaradan, the captain of the guard, left in the land of Judah some of the poor people who owned nothing and gave them vineyards and fields at the same time. Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, gave command concerning Jeremiah through Nebuzaradan, the captain of the guard, saying, Take him, look after him well, and do him no harm, but deal with him as he tells you. So Nebuzaradan, the captain of the guard, Nebuchadnezzar, the Rabsaris, Nergal Sarezer, the Rabmag, and all the chief officers of the king of Babylon sent and took Jeremiah from the court of the guard 
They entrusted him to Gedaliah, the son of Ahikam, son of Shaphan, that he should take him home. So he lived among the people. The word of the Lord came to Jeremiah while he was shut up in the court of the guard. Go and say to Ebed-Melech the Ethiopian, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Behold, I will fulfill my words against this city for harm and not for good, and they shall be accomplished before you on that day. But I will deliver you on that day, declares the Lord, and you shall not be given into the hand of the men of whom you were afraid. For I will surely save you, and you shall not fall by the sword, but you shall have your life as a prize of war, because you have put your trust in me, declares the Lord. The word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord after Nebuzaradan, the captain of the guard, had let him go from Ramah when he took him bound in chains along with all the captives of Jerusalem and Judah who were being exiled to Babylon. The captain of the guard took Jeremiah and said to him, The Lord your God pronounced this disaster against this place. The Lord has brought it about and has done as he said. Because you sinned against the Lord and did not obey his voice, this thing has come upon you. Now behold, I release you today from the chains on your hands. If it seems good to you to come with me to Babylon, come, and I will look after you well. But if it seems wrong to you to come with me to Babylon, do not come. See, the whole land is before you. Go wherever you think it good and right to go. If you remain, then return to Gedaliah, the son of Ahikam, son of Shaphan, whom the king of Babylon appointed governor of the cities in Judah, uh, and dwell with him among the people, or go wherever you think it right to go. So the captain of the guard gave him an allowance of food and a present and let him go. Then Jeremiah went to Gedaliah, the son of Ahikam, at Mizpah, and lived with him among the people who were left in the land. We give thanks to the Lord for his word. Let's pray together. Father, we pray that as we study this passage, that you would cause us to learn from it those things that you have for us. Father, we recognize here uh, a, a somber passage, and yet also one that is full of grace. And we thank you for it and pray you'd guide our study of it this evening. For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. In the book of Lamentations, Jeremiah gives an eyewitness account of the things that happened with the fall of Jerusalem. The tongue of the nursing infant sticks to the roof of its mouth for thirst. The children beg for food, but no one gives to them. Those who once feasted on delicacies perish in the streets. Those who were brought up in purple embrace ash heaps. Happier were the victims of the sword and the victims of hunger who wasted away, pierced by lack of the fruits of the field. The hands of compassionate women have boiled their own children. They became their food during the destruction of the daughter of my people. The Lord gave full vent to his wrath. He poured out his hot anger and he kindled a fire in Zion that consumed its foundations. They dogged our steps so that we could not walk in our streets. Our end drew near. Our days were numbered, for our end had come. Josephus, the first century Jewish historian, described it this way. The battering ram took its last run at the walls. 
Darts from the enemy siege mounds arched into the midnight sky and struck their mark in flames. Famine had already claimed many lives inside the walls. Five Babylonian princes marched through the streets of Jerusalem, their faces illuminated by the flames of destruction. The city did not return to solely Jewish rule for 2,500 years, the middle of the 20th century. So fell Jerusalem. And yet as we read those things, Jeremiah's concern, his description of it in chapter 39, is very sparse as to the details. In Lamentations, he mourns over the suffering, uh, over the horror that his eyes witnessed, that his ears heard tell of. Uh, But in this passage, he simply describes it almost as a matter of fact. And he describes it not so much in terms of the historical details uh, that would have been interesting to some, or in terms of the military successes on the part of the Babylonians that would have been interesting to some, but he describes it in terms of three people. The effect of the fall of Jerusalem on three lives, one of which was, of course, his own. But the first was that of King Zedekiah in verses 1 through 10. Uh, Zedekiah, of course, this, uh, this king, this puppet king, this wavering, spineless king over Judah, the last king of Judah. And we read of how in the ninth month of Zedekiah, the, the, in, the, in the, tenth, uh, the ninth year, the tenth month, uh, Nebuchadnezzar came and laid siege to Jerusalem. And then verse 2, the eleventh year of Zedekiah, the fourth month on the ninth day of the month, a breach was made in the city. And the Babylonians came into the city. And as we read in verse 3, they sat in the middle gate, and they goes on to list various officials of Babylon, whose names I do not care to try to pronounce again, uh, who came, and it says, sat uh, there in the gate. Uh, the, the point being, they came and set up a provisional military government over the now conquered city of Jerusalem. Now, this is no surprise. If you'll turn back to Jeremiah chapter 1, beginning in verse 13, we read right there at the beginning of this book the prophecy of what would happen. Jeremiah 1, 13, The word of the Lord came to me a second time, saying, What do you see? And I said, I see a boiling pot facing away from the north. Then the Lord said to me, Out of the north disaster shall be let loose upon all the inhabitants of the land. For behold, I am calling all the tribes of the kingdoms of the north, declares the Lord, and they shall come, and every one shall set his throne at the entrance of the gates of Jerusalem, against all its walls all around and against all the cities of Judah. And I will declare my judgments against them for all their evil in forsaking me. They have made offerings to other gods and worshipped the works of their own hands. But you dress yourself for work. Arise and say to them everything I have commanded you. Do not be dismayed by them, lest I dismay you before them. And I, behold, I make you this day a fortified city, an iron pillar, and bronze walls against the whole land, against the kings of Judah, its officials, its priests, and the people of the land. They will fight against you. 
they shall not prevail against you, for I am with you, declares the Lord, to deliver you. The priests were gone, the kings were gone, the walls were gone, the city was gone, Jeremiah stood. Both prophecies fulfilled. But the point is that this was prophesied. The point is the Lord said this is exactly what would happen. And Jeremiah declared that again and again and again, as you well know, if you sat through this series, time and again, threatenings of judgment, as along with calls to repent, to return to the Lord, came uh, repeatedly to the city of Jerusalem. And that's exactly what happens. Finally, siege is begun, siege is accomplished. And then we read of Zedekiah's end in uh, verse 4. When Zedekiah, the king of Judah, and all the soldiers saw them, they fled, they ran, they deserted the city. We don't know which the middle gate is. There's speculation as to whether maybe it was a gate facing the north, the direction from which the Babylonians came, or if it possibly was a gate in a middle wall in the city, because there were walls within the city that had been the outer walls of the city in earlier times, and perhaps uh, the final breach was made into the innermost part of the city. We don't know. Uh, but what we do know is that when all was lost, the king and his soldiers fled from the city, going out by night, at night by way of the king's garden. They went out toward the Arabah, which would be roughly to the east-northeast, toward Jericho, toward the Jordan River, which is itself symbolically interesting since that's the direction from which Israel came into the promised land under uh, Joshua, uh, crossing the Jordan, coming into Jericho. Uh, and they fled from the city of Jerusalem in that direction. However, they were found. They were caught. Verse 5, the Chaldeans pursued them and overtook Zedekiah, and they brought him to Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon at Riblah, which was consider, considerably far to the north up in the area of Syria where Nebuchadnezzar was, uh, was based at this point, and he passed sentence on him. The king slaughtered the sons of Zedekiah before his eyes and then put his own eyes out, so that the very last thing that he saw in this world was the death of his sons and the death of his nobles. Put his eyes out, bound him in chains to take him as a captive to Babylon. And so Jeremiah's words too. Zedekiah was fulfilled that he would see the king of Babylon, uh, and yet it was not a happy occasion at all. And then we read in verse 9, Nebuzaradan, the captain of the guard, Nebuchadnezzar's uh, right-hand man in charge of all of this, carried into exile the rest of the people, those who deserted, those who remained in the city. They're all packed up and get in, uh, prepared to at Ramah to be taken to Babylon, except for those who were allowed to remain in the land, so it just wasn't unoccupied. In fact, those who had nothing were given fields and vineyards to uh, to farm and to take care of. So uh, Zedekiah, uh, on the tail end of uh, the kings of Judah, meets a, a, a pretty gruesome fate uh, as he, his family is slaughtered, his eyes are put out, and he's taken <clears throat> in humility to to Babylon. But the, even at that, even up to the end, Zedekiah was given the opportunity to repent. You see the patience of God. You see the grace of God. Look, just the previous chapter, 38, 20. 
Notice what Jeremiah uh, says. Uh, Zedekiah in verse 19 says, Interestingly, I'm afraid of the Judeans who had deserted to the Chaldeans, the Babylonians, lest I be handed over to them and they deal cruelly with me. Jeremiah said in verse 20, this is 38-20, You shall not be given to them. And he wasn't. He wasn't handed over to, to, to the Judeans. He was handed over to the Babylonians. But Jeremiah says to him, Obey now the voice of the Lord in what I say to you, and it will be well with you, and your life shall be spared. But if you refuse to surrender, this is the vision which the Lord has shown to me. And then he, he goes on and describes this, this vision of judgment. But the point here is that even at this point, Jeremiah appeals to Zedekiah to repent, to turn, to submit. Remember, the Lord finally said, well, the, the, the judgment of Babylon is coming. You need to surrender to them. And Jeremiah was accused of being a traitor for such a message uh, of betraying his own people. But you see the patience and grace of the Lord. You see, the destruction of Jerusalem as it is here and, and as we read of it in other places in Scripture is a type, a symbol of that future coming judgment of God that will make this one look fairly benign. Uh, the scriptures speak of that coming judgment, uh, that there is the day of the Lord, that there is the return of Christ, that there is a day when all of those who have not surrendered to Christ, who have not believed in Christ, will fall under the judgment of God. Unfortunately, for many ears, maybe some ears in here, that has all the air of reality to it that the destruction of Jerusalem had to those who were living in Judah and in Jerusalem. You know, unfortunately, often today, uh, you know, the, the whole idea of repenting for the end is near is, is the stuff of the funny pages because it's seen as a joke. It's seen as a caricature. And yet the scriptures are quite plain. Jesus himself is quite plain about that day that is coming. You know, with the, the worm that does not die and the fire that does, is not quenched, uh, Mark 9, and in other places. Do we hear that? Do we realize the reality of the coming judgment of God, along with the offer of his grace, even up to the end? It's never too late, as long as you were in this world, to repent and believe in the Lord Jesus, to surrender to him, uh, to be covered by his blood, the one who suffered the judgment of God for sinners. It hasn't happened. You know, sometimes we're like the people Peter speaks of. Where is this coming? He promised. Where is this judgment? He threatens. Do not be deceived. God promised. We saw at the very beginning of the book of Jeremiah that this day of judgment would come. And it finally did. And it was horrible. It was a terrible, terrible, frightening, horrific experience. The judgment of God. And yet... It pales in comparison with that final judgment, the judgment that will conclude not just the history of Judah, but history, period. And God judges the wicked and brings home his righteous people, righteous in Christ. So that's the first person that's dealt with here. The first one we see the effects of this is, is that of Zedekiah himself, who meets with this horrible end. But the second person, of course, that's addressed here or dealt with here is Jeremiah. Jeremiah himself, and we see this in verses 11 through 14, and then again in chapter 40, verses 1 through 6. Notice verse 11, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, gave command concerning Jeremiah through Nebuzaradan, the captain of the guard, saying, take him 
look after him well, do him no harm, but deal with him as he tells you. Now, why Nebuchadnezzar was even aware of Jeremiah, we don't know. Uh, It may be that um, some of those from Jerusalem who did desert to Babylon had spoken to Nebuchadnezzar, or at least those who had gotten word to Nebuchadnezzar of the ministry of Jeremiah. After all, they would have been interested to have found out that someone with Jeremiah's stature and influence was advocating surrender to the Babylonians. That would have caught their attention. So perhaps word came that way uh, through some of the exiles, uh, or rather the, uh, the the ones who had fled or had surrendered to, uh, to to Babylon, expatriates, so to speak. That may have been one way that he found out about him. May have been other ways, but however it happened, Nebuchadnezzar was aware of Jeremiah and specifically singled him out for protection. Now, it is fascinating to see that. It's played out here is exactly what Jesus would say so many years later. Whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Zedekiah, in his efforts to preserve his life, resisting the word of the Lord, loses it for all intents and purposes. He was still alive, if you want to call that existence a life, uh, into which he'd gone in, in Babylon. Uh, and Jeremiah, who was the object of scorn and ridicule and contempt and even physical abuse, is the one here who is preserved and protected. At the same time, however, it would be important to say, as you read in Lamentations, that all of this was most heartrending to Jeremiah. Uh, I, I don't know how much of a spirit of vindictiveness there was there. We do know that he seemed irritated with Zedekiah, that uh, the fact that he was right all along was not recognized, as we saw earlier. Uh, but for Jeremiah, this too was a, was a painful and, and difficult experience to see his, his nation, to see this place destroyed. But he is noticed by Nebuchadnezzar in verses 11 and 12. He's given an escort. Look at verse 13. So Nebuchadnezzar, the captain of the guard, that's used every time his name is mentioned, it's almost like it's his name, Nebuchadnezzar, the captain of the guard, one word, and these others, all the chief officers of the king of Babylon, sent and took Jeremiah from the court of the guard. He, he, was, he was protected, and he was given into the care of friends. Notice verse 14. They entrusted him to Gedaliah, the son of Ahikam, the son of Shaphan, that he should take him home. And so he lived among the people. He was put in the care of people who knew him and cared about him, godly people. Shaphan was the one who uh, before had brought the book of the law to King Josiah. When the book was found and it led to Josiah's repentance and the reforms in Jerusalem and in Judah that uh, despite Josiah's best efforts could not change the hearts of the people, as we've seen, although it did change some of the outward practices. There was real reform there under Josiah. Uh, and yet not enough to change the hearts of the people, even as it, out, uh, as it changed their outward behavior. And then Ahikam, uh, the, the, the um, father of Gedaliah, was one we had encountered before, back in Jeremiah chapter 26, uh, the end of the chapter, who had looked out for Jeremiah. Chapter 26, verse 24, But the hand of Ahikam, the son of Shaphan, was with Jeremiah, so that he was not given over to the people to be put to death. And so once again, uh, he's dealing with people who know him, who are godly, who, who care about him, and entrusted to Gedaliah, the son of Ahikam, the son of 
Shaphan, so those who had been influential. Jeremiah had friends in high places, and certainly God worked through that in order to protect him, in order to watch out for him and spare him during all of this horror. And then in chapter 40, verses uh, 1 and following, we have a little bit more detail. And as you try to put this with the other passage, it's somewhat unclear whether Jeremiah is released once or whether he was maybe released once and was back involved with more of the citizens of Jerusalem and rounded up with them and then later released again when they discovered he'd sort of been taken back with the group of people being taken out to exile. Uh, but we get a little bit more detail here that sort of serves to emphasize why this happened. You know, if you read the account of it in, in, in 2 Kings, uh, it's quite clear. He just says this happened because of their rebellion, because of their breaking the covenant, because of their idolatry. You know, Second Kings, First Second Kings is not just history, it's making a point. Well, notice, notice what happens. And it comes, interestingly enough, on the tongue of a Babylonian. As it's written here, notice verse two, the captain of the guard took Jeremiah and said to Jeremiah, the Lord, your God pronounced this disaster against this place. The Lord has brought it about and he has done as he said, because you sinned against the Lord and did not obey his voice. This thing has come upon you. Repetition, always significant in Hebrew narrative. And that's also significant and, and a little disturbing that is coming on the tongue of a Babylonian speaking to Jeremiah. Now, he's not, he's not condemning Jeremiah, but it sort of explains what happened. As we reach the end of the destruction of Jerusalem, this is sort of the summary. This is why it happened. And it's coming, ironically, uh, in, the, in the voice of a Babylonian. And now, and then he says, verse 4, Now, be, uh, behold, I release you today from the chains on your hands. Basically, it says, I'm setting you free. You can go wherever you want to go. If you want to come with us to Babylon, that's great. If you don't want to come to Babylon, that's fine too. Uh, you, you, you are free to go wherever you want to go. The whole land's before you, so go wherever. Verse 5, if you remain, return to Gedaliah, the son of Ahikam, the son of Shaphan, whom the king of Babylon appointed governor of the cities and dwell among the people or, you know, go wherever you want to go. So gives them an allowance of food, gives them a present, probably a cash gift or something to help supply, supply his needs. And let him go. And we read, Jeremiah went to Gedaliah at Mizpah and lived with him among the people. Now, again, that's a phrase we've already encountered. Note back in verse 14. So he lived among the people. And then in verse 6, he lived with him among the people. One of the accusations against Jeremiah was that he was a hater of his own people. He was a traitor. He was betraying them to the Babylonians and that he himself was deserting. Remember, he caught him by night. You're deserting to the Babylonians. And Jeremiah said, no, I'm not. Well, here he's given a choice. What does he do? Twice it said he lived among his own people. He was content just to stay with his own. That's where his heart was. That's where his loyalty was. And so we see Jeremiah. He's preserved. Quite a different fate from Zedekiah. The Lord looked out after Jeremiah, the prophet. Now, that's not to say, you know, we're not Jeremiah. If we're in difficult circumstances, the Lord may not spare us the kind of physical suffering that many in Jerusalem endured. But the Lord did protect Jeremiah and keep him. Well, there's one other person that sort of tells a story here, and a most unlikely one. It's Ebed Melech. Look at chapter 39, verse 15. Remember who Ebed Melech was? The name means servant of the king. 
Ebed-Melech was the one who came to Jeremiah when he'd been lowered into the cistern back in chapter 38, a eunuch in the king's house. And he comes and he finds Jeremiah there and he goes into a wardrobe and he gets some old rags and worn out clothes and he lowers a rope down to Jeremiah. And he says, put the rags and the clothes between your armpits and the ropes to pad it, to make it more comfortable for Jeremiah as he was lifted out of this cistern. And Jeremiah remained in the court of the guard. Now, this is a little bit of a flashback. This happened before this this. Uh, verses 15 through 18, it's kind of a little bit of a flashback before the city fell. So notice it's speaking of that in the future tense. Verse 15, the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah while he was shut up in the court of the guard. Go and say to Ebed-Melech the Ethiopian, thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel. I'm going to do everything to the city that I promised to do, and yet I will protect you. I will spare you. I will deliver you on that day, declares the Lord. You will not be given into the hand of the men of whom you are afraid, for I will surely save you, and you shall not fall by the sword. You shall have your life as a prize of war. Jeremiah had connections that God used to protect him and watch over him. Abed-Melech had none of that. And yet, the Lord watched over him and protected him. Why was it? Was it because he showed kindness to the servant of the Lord, Jeremiah? Well, he certainly did, and that's commendable. But notice, that's not the reason given why the Lord singles out this court official, Ebed-Melech. Because you have put your trust in me, declares the Lord. You see, Ebed-Melech wasn't saved because of his good deeds. Because he showed kindness to Jeremiah. He showed kindness to Jeremiah because he trusted in the Lord. Because he recognized Jeremiah as a brother in the Lord. You shall have your life because you have put your trust in me, declares the Lord. You see, Abed Malik was saved by grace through faith. And so the Lord singles him out and spares him from those who would try to to harm him. You see, as we look at this, in Jeremiah's time, there was only one way to be saved from the judgment to come, and that was to call on the name of the Lord in faith. Not to turn to idols, not to turn to our own cleverness, not to turn to our own devices, but to call on the Lord in faith. Well, it's the same today. We face a much bigger judgment, a cosmic judgment that is coming upon this world that will surely come just as surely as the walls of Jerusalem were breached and the Babylonian army came in and burned the place to bits. And today, as then, there is only one way to be spared that judgment, and that is to call on the Lord in faith. Our own efforts will not spare us. Our own cleverness will not spare us. Our own devices will not spare us. We need to turn from our idols And we need to look to the Lord Jesus Christ in faith. Remember John the Baptist. The Pharisees were all around other Jewish leaders. He said, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee the wrath to come? Well, dear friends, I'm warning you to flee the wrath to come. The scriptures warn us to flee the wrath to come. The smoke rising from Jerusalem warns us to flee the wrath to come. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Let's pray.
Our Father, we do look to You as our only refuge from Yourself. Father, we do thank You for the provision You have given us in Christ that we might be saved from the judgment that You Yourself are going to bring upon this world. But we also thank You, Father, that in Him we have a complete salvation, that Jesus has already suffered Your wrath for the sins of each person who will believe in Him. Father, we thank You for Him. We thank you that he is our refuge, that he is our fortress, and that in him we are perfectly and completely safe. We pray it in his name and to his glory. Amen.